many, many facets, many representatives of many, many clubs, many groups, many affiliations. And I'm afraid that what has happened in America is that church is just another one. That church is just another group. It's another association. It's just another membership. As we look at God's word, I think we're going to see something vastly, vastly different. So my first, or my, I guess not my first, I already talked about my first question. My next question that I'm going to try to answer is, what is church membership? What does it mean to be a church member? I'm going to be in Romans chapter 12. I'm going to be in several different passages, but that's where we're going to camp out here for just a minute. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3. Paul writes to the church of Rome, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. I mean, that's just good advice right there. But to think of yourself with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. The analogy that Paul is pulling from is that of a human body. I love space and I love anatomy. I'm fascinated by both those subjects. The vastness of space, I mean, just how big it is, And yet the body, the intricacies of the body. And I actually think that Paul's analogy almost is has a sharper, vivid image for us today than it did then. Because we know more now of the intricacies, the complexities of the body and how small and detailed our bodies are put together and work together. Like there's not just blood, there's multiple things in your blood. We have, what, like 206 or 212 bones and it varies. You have different systems. You have multiple cells that function individually, but they're not just working for themselves. They're working together for your body to function and, and be and to exist and to experience the world. So this analogy that Paul is using, comparing our physical bodies to what? To the church. To God's people. To Christians gathered together. As our, he's saying, as our bodies are made up of individual parts, and each part has a specific functions, a specific purpose for a greater purpose, So the church is the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one. We are individually members one of another. There's two points that I believe are in this text that are going to um, be the remainder of the message this morning. The first is Paul says we are one body in Christ. We are one body in Christ. That points to unity. 
The church is a unity, a oneness that God has called us to. And then the second point will be derived from this idea that Paul gives us that we are individually members one of another. And that is, we actually impact one another. When he uses the word member, that's, that word is part. We are part of each other. We belong to each other. We'll expound more upon that in just a moment. So when we put these two ideas together, the first of unity, everybody who has faith in Christ, who has been given the Spirit of God, belongs to God. They're one. That's what it means to be part of the church, as in the universal church. Everybody who's ever existed across the world who has faith in Christ for their salvation is a part of the universal church. We are all united in faith. That is a big idea. That we are, as First Baptist Church Glasgow, are a church. We'll talk about more what that kind of means in just a moment. And the church across the street is a, a church. And up the road there's a church. And in the other states there are churches. And across the world there are churches. We also need to not just think about churches as being individual locations of people who believe in Christ, but we need to think as of the church, the church, capital C church, as everybody who believes upon the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. We may differ in certain teachings, but we are united in that we look to Jesus Christ for our salvation. We have faith in one God. We are filled with the same spirit. So then this other aspect of being individually parts of one of another is we belong to each other as fellow believers. And that is where you start getting the individual churches come from. You see, I may be one with somebody who lives in China who has faith in Christ for salvation, but I don't necessarily belong to them. But here, in association with the fellow believers locally, and specifically with those who agree with the same teachings of Scripture that I believe, we have a much more intricate and personal connection with one another. So the language that Paul uses is that individually we are parts of one another. I may be a knee and you may be a thumb and somebody else may be an eye. But what good is a knee without a leg to bend? What good is an eye without the legs to walk to where it wants to go to? What good is it to be able to get there and walk if you don't have the thumbs and fingers to do what you need to do? We belong to one another. 
that is a very profound and intimate idea. That my life is not just my life. My life is deeply connected to the local body of Christ that I belong to. Do you see how different it is than the memberships you may have in other groups? We've taken this word member, and because it's applied culturally to just an easy come, easy go, I'm going to go here and pay my dues and get these benefits, or I'm interested in this and I can come, but if I want to leave, I don't have to show up. If that's what member means, we need to scrap it from church talk. Because that's not what member means when it comes to how the Bible talks about the church. The Bible talks about the church very intimately, very personally. We're going to expound upon these ideas. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, Paul says a similar idea. And he elaborates on it just a little bit. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. That's exactly what he said in Romans chapter 12 we just read. But he elaborates on it by this statement. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and or Greeks, slaves, or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. All were made to drink of one spirit. There's two ideas here. The idea of baptism and the idea of one spirit. Baptism is not just a symbolic act. That's the way it's often presented, especially in Baptist circles. And it is symbolic, it is representative, but it's not just symbolics. Baptism is a spiritual act. Baptism is our physical participation in a spiritual reality. It does not save us. It is not magical. If you don't have faith in Christ and you were baptized, all you did was you got wet. But... Baptism does represent and demonstrate our faith in Christ. It represents our union with Christ. That we are dunked under the water, showing that we are united with Jesus in, our, in his death. We've died with Jesus. We come out of the water, we are raised to life. You've been raised to newness of life, Paul says. It shows that we are connected now to Christ. We are now his bride we are now a part of the people of God. So it is a proclamation that I have faith in Jesus. I belong to him. I am a new creation and I belong with the people of God. Over 2,000 years, baptism has gone in different routes. People have interpreted it differently. It is important to know and understand what you think about baptism and what the Bible says about baptism and what your church understands about baptism. 
Because it's not just a religious rite. It's not just something you do. It actually has meaning. And so Paul says here, in one spirit, we were baptized into one body. Every single Christian has been baptized according to their understanding of what it means. And so you enter into the people of God. You are part of the universal church. And then locally, with the individuals that you are now a part of, where you exercise your faith and you have fellowship with and you're on mission with, your baptism aligns you with them as well. But in Christ's church, there is no distinction between Jew or Greek or slave or free, meaning there's no racial or ethnic difference when it comes to God's people. They are one. God views them equally. There's not one spirit for one race, whether it be Africans, Spaniards, Latinas, Australians, British, Americans. We are all baptized into one spirit. We each have the same spirit. There's no distinction. Nor is there a distinction on socioeconomic level. Slaves are free. There's, there's no difference. There's not one, one, there's not one church over here that's supposed to be for the poor, and another church over here that's for the rich, and one church over here for one ethnic group, and one church over here for, for a different ethnic group. You know what that is? That dishonors God. I fully believe with all of my heart that when God's people cannot unite as one because of the socio or ethnical reasons, the gospel of Jesus Christ is put under. The gospel of Jesus Christ is actually loses its luster. It loses its appeal. Because God has his church and his church is to be united. The same can be said of old and young. The unity between old and young, between men and women. God's church is to hold all of his people. It's not to be divvied up. It's not to be separated for people based upon their looks, their color, the amount of money they have, their gender, or their age. You know what would glorify God the most in First Baptist Church Salisbury? To have as many different kinds of people a part of our fellowship. I think that would glorify God to the nth degree, especially in a nation that has been torn up by issues of race and issues of economic class warfare. The world does not understand a belief system that can unite people of different races, genders, ages, and socioeconomic levels. Because those are the things that divide us. That's where my identity lies. And if my identity is over here, how can I identify with this person over here? Because there's something greater. What is it that's greater? 
Paul says one spirit. He uses this, this phrase twice. In one spirit we were baptized and made to drink of one spirit. Every person who has believed in Christ for salvation and received the spirit of Christ has received the same spirit. Have, are we willing to put aside petty differences? And when I say petty, I don't mean important. I mean differences that are small in comparison with the glory and salvation that God has given us. Are we willing to put them aside? Are we willing to welcome somebody who may think a little different than me, may look a little differently than me, may dress a little differently than me? Because I know that they love the same Jesus I love. That they are filled with the same spirit I'm filled with. Where unity is found, life is soon to follow. Where unity is found, life is soon to follow. So how do we get, how do we get there? How do we get this unity? In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul again writes, this time to a different church, the church in Ephesus, a different city in the ancient Roman world. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just just as you have been called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Unity is maintained through peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. That's what our Savior said. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Are we eager to maintain unity? Are we willing to put differences aside and seek peace? Will we try to support one another, encourage one another? That is what it takes to have unity. It takes peacemakers. And that is why Jesus has says that in the Beatitudes. The church is made up of peacemakers. Well, that's not how it looks. Churches splitting over colors, splitting over small and insignificant things, things that were said years ago, people can't get over. Church, my desire and my prayer for us is that we will be a church of peace, a church that is united. God does not divide. Our God is a God who unites. He's a God who reconciles. He is a God who has done it. He was moved heaven and earth to make peace with his enemies. His spirit is a spirit of unity. 
a spirit of love. And we maintain the spirit of unity by building peace amongst ourselves through how we treat each other and how our attitudes are towards one another. James says, Are there quarrels among you? Do you fight and bicker? You're not united. You're not seeking the other's good. You're letting things come between you. You're acting like normal human beings. But God has not made us normal human beings. God has made us new. God has given us his spirit that unites. His spirit that works peace. We have one of the greatest messages for our world. That there is something greater in this world than the way you look. There are more important things in this world than how much money you make. There's something more important in this world than what you do for a living. There is a God who loves equally. There's a God who's offered his son to make peace with you so that your heart can be at peace. So not only are, is the church a united church, we are one body in Christ. We belong to Christ through faith. We've all been given the same spirit. But we also are members, parts, one of another. The writer of Hebrews says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That is a uniting passage, but there is much responsibility in this passage. What does it look like for us to be members one of another? What does it mean that my life is now just not my life? It's now connected with yours. Beyond just having a common desire for the success of our nation or the advancement of our business or a a pleasure pastime. What goes beyond that is our desire to love God and to worship him, and ultimately to walk through the pearly gates, which is the culmination of our salvation. So when the writer of Hebrews says, take care, brothers, lest any of you have an evil, unbelieving heart following you away from the living God, each each one of us are susceptible to sin. Sin is not just something you do. It's not just an action that you do. 
Sin is deceitful, meaning it works in your brain. It affects the way you think. It affects the way you feel. It affects what you want. It affects your attitude. So when he says, take care, brothers, he's talking to a group of individuals, meaning take care of one another. Look out for each other. And he says, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may have an so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need each other so that we don't become hardened by sin, deceived by sin, have a heart that is hard towards God, not sensitive to the Spirit, and prove that we have not had the Spirit. Each one of us are in danger of being deceived by sin. So we are to encourage each other. How often are we to do that? Once a week? What does it say? As long as it is called today. Whatever day ends with why, exhort one another. We are to be so connected in each other's lives that daily we're rubbing shoulders. Daily, we're involved with one another so that we can continue to support one another. We can encourage one another. This world will not do us good. This world does not want us on the path of salvation. It does not want us loving Jesus. It does not want our devotion to Jesus. It does not want us to live godly. It does not want us to live in the light. Why? Because the world is full of darkness and the darkness hates the light. We need one another to be encouraged, to not fall into despair. It reminds me of the the great parable of Pilgrim's Progress. And Christian is on his journey And in his journey, he comes across brothers who help him along his way, who encourage him, who help him grow in belief. They help him escape dungeons, help him battle dragons, help him flee from vanity so that he can safely arrive at home. That is what we are to do with one another as a local body of believers. And that's hard. It's not easy. It takes great discernment. Paul tells the Galatians, he says, Brothers, if any of you is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. When someone has offended you, when you see someone falling off and their heart becoming hard and their attitude becoming poor, You are to go to them and call them out. And it's not just to call them out and to judge them and to get them under the thumb and to make them feel bad. He says you should restore him. You're You're to lift them back up out of that mire. 
And you're to do it in a spirit of gentleness. But not only are you to do it in a spirit of gentleness, not only are you to be kind and gentle and humble about it, but you're to keep watch on yourself unless you too are brought down in the same pit. But not only are we to hold each other accountable and, and be members one of another to keep one another from the hardness and deceitfulness, the hardness of heart that comes from the deceitfulness of sin, we're also called to help the weak. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul urges you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. I don't know about you, but I can get faint-hearted sometimes. I can fall into despair. I get depressed. I get lonely. I need encouragement. I need help to carry on sometimes. That is why we are to be members, be parts one of another. Those who are weak, the strong are to come alongside and help them. The, the powerful witness of, the, of Christian living is when we accept each other where we're at. When we love each other as we are, when we embrace each other's brokenness, when we recognize this is an area where I'm weak in, you're strong, you help me in this area, I'm strong in this area where you're weak and we work together. That's a judge-free zone. That's the thumb saying, yeah, I, I need you. That's the eye saying, yeah, leg, I need you. That's the heart saying, stomach, I need you. That's not judgment. That's not jealousy. It's just reality. And it's the way God has called the Christian church to operate. And when we do that, when we do that, that is a powerful testimony to the work of God in our lives. Because this world is constantly trying to find the next rung before the other guy finds it. And when you do find it, you stomp on their hands so that you can get further ahead on their backs. The church is a different organism altogether. And then finally, Paul tells the church in Galatians, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. It's not look at the person over there and see their burden and be sorry for them. It's you go and bear it with them. We're not just called to sympathy. We are called to bear another's burden as if it's our own. We take responsibility for one another. Part of being a Christian and a member of the local church is that you don't have to suffer alone. 
But part of being a Christian and a member of the local church is that you go and suffer with another. You rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And you turn around and see your brother stumbling and you go over and bear their burden with them. The key here is that we have to be willing to let others in. There are two common isms in our culture that prevents the church from operating as what the Bible describes the church should operate. Let me correct that. There's, there's multiple isms, but I'm going to talk about two really quickly. Consumerism and individualism. Consumerism and individualism. Consumerism is, I just consume everything. Everything was created for me to intake That's not the church. The church isn't here for you to come and then leave unchanged without participating. The church isn't here for you to go here for a little bit and eh, it'll work for now. And then like driving through McDonald's, when you get tired of of whatever meal you're eating, you can just change it. God made the church differently. We are members one of another. Individualism. Individualism, it's it's much more ingrained in us, I think, than even consumerism. Individualism is the idea that my life is completely private. That I am my own person. That I decide for myself what is right what is wrong where I go what I do everything is dependent upon me as an individual that may work well for a country but it doesn't work well for the church there's no such thing as a private church member there's not you can't be a private church member and be a member of another That's like saying two people are married and they live in two separate towns. That's not a marriage. That's playing boyfriend and girlfriend. And most people are playing church member. There's no such thing as a private church member and there's no such thing as a passive or inactive church member. Easy come, easy go. I'm my own person. The responsibility of being a church member should honestly make us question if it's for us. It's that big of a deal. Having your name on a roll doesn't save you. Getting wet doesn't save you. Praying a prayer doesn't save you. There's a lot more to the Christian life than those things. And we live in a country, we live in a culture that really sets us up to fail as a church. We have much to overcome. And by the grace of God, I believe we can. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would be at work within us. Lord, that our love for one another would grow. Lord, that the unity that we have as a church would grow. 
Father, I pray that you would impress deep upon our hearts the responsibility that we have one to another, that we are part of each other, that I may be an eye and someone else might be the neck. Lord, I pray that we would understand these things more deeply, that it would cause us to love one another, that it would cause us to encourage one another, that it would cause us to interact with one another. Lord, and may you give us the spirit of humility. Lord, may we learn what it means to be vulnerable with one another so that we can love one another more deeply, that we can more joyfully, that we can rejoice more fully in the church. Father, I ask that you use us, Lord, to shine a light in Glasgow, Missouri, that people may see the glory of Christ through the church. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.